Thank you so much. How is everybody today? Just about getting towards the end of the week, isn't it? Was it a good week for you? I hope they will never abandon camp meetings. And I hope they will not ever go just to a two-day weekend camp meeting sense. I love being in places where you get to know people and you develop the friendships and you feel strength, you feel support, and you feel the Lord is working in our hearts. Let me tell a little story this morning. Can you all hear me okay? It was one of those balmy summer days in Arkansas where the distances between places and hamlets are large and long. And there was uh, one of these special buses. In the bus, you look around, you see an elderly gentleman. He looks in his 70s. He's not really well-dressed. His tie doesn't match his suit. Uh, it's not pressed very properly. He's just sort of a simple elderly gentleman. Across from him, an elegant, sophisticated lady. Beautiful. Ravaging. Oh. They sit across from each other. She looks at him. No, she doesn't look at him. She looks at the beautiful bouquet of flowers that he has in his hand. They're gorgeous flowers. I mean, and she thinks to herself, I'm on my way to meeting the um, prospective in-laws. Why didn't I think about bringing some flowers to sort of let them know that I deeply care about them and I'm oriented towards beautiful things? She thinks about that and she becomes fixated on these beautiful flowers that this elderly gentleman with this crumpled suit has. And he notices, not just her, but he notices that there's some kind of fixation on her mind, on her eyes, in that she seemingly stares, not at him, at the flowers. The bus, after a while, comes to a stop. The elderly gentleman with a poorly matched tie and everything else gets out of his seat. He steps towards the elegant, sophisticated lady. He bows in front of her, and then he gives her the flowers, and he says, I know you love these flowers, don't you? She's stunned. He leaves. The door closes. The bus begins to move again. She looks back, and she sees the elderly gentleman opening the door but before that, you have to understand, when he gave her the flowers, he said to her, I want you to have those. And I know that my wife will understand. Now, he leaves the bus. She looks back to the elderly gentleman outside. And she sees him entering the gate of a cemetery. To live is to give.
I want to give something to some very special people. I want to give to a lady that has been here every time. She's very, she has a hard time. She has a difficult time in hearing. And she always sits in front here and she always tries to read my lips. And I make sure that I look at her as much as I can as I remember. And I try to speak slowly and I try to move my lips so that hopefully she can understand. I want you to, because you can read this very easily, right? Thank you. Is there anybody here that has a birthday today? A birthday today? Anybody? Do you have a birthday today? One birthday, another one? One birthday? Two birthdays? I beg your pardon? He better come fast. <laughs> Would you please come to the front? It's part of your exercise program. Happy birthday. This is for you and for the family. It's a cookbook that will help you to live a healthy life. Blessings on you. Thank you for being here. Is your husband here? Does he have a driver's license to prove that it's birthday today? I'm giving this to you because I trust you. It's a gift of grace. <laughs> to live is to give. You cannot go from bitter to better unless you learn how to give. Unless you begin to focus on the other person. It becomes less important what your needs are. Can we turn down the volume a little bit back there? Hello? We have too much echo here. Can, can you hear me okay now? Okay. So let me read you something that has been very, very meaningful to me as uh, we are looking at the human body. Psalm 139, you know it very well. Oh Lord, you have examined my heart. You know everything about me. You know when I sit or stand. When far away you know even my every thought. Every moment you know where I am. You know what I'm going to say. How many times have I experienced this? I'm in India. I have been told that this is a very sophisticated audience. I prepare a sophisticated sort of you know, presentation. And then I come. It's a large auditorium. And the women are sitting on this side. The men are sitting on this side. It's really very poorly illuminated. I know that these people are not sophisticated people. These are very, very humble people. There's a lot of problems in these marriages. I know, because I know something about India, because I've been there. And I said, Lord, I cannot use what I have prepared. I have to abandon my slides. They don't fit. Lord, I don't know what to do. They announce me, and they get up there. I have no clue what I'm going to say. 
I open my mouth and some unusual things happen. I talk about marriage relationships. I hadn't even thought about it. I just sort of withdrew some of the kind of things that I had learned that my wife has taught me. <laughs> and so then the psalm goes on and says, you, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and you knit them together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. It is amazing to think about. Your workmanship is marvelous and how well I know it. How precious it is, Lord, to realize that you are thinking about me constantly. I can't even count how many times a day your thoughts turn towards me. And when I wake in the morning, you're still thinking of me. Several years ago, I met this wonderful man. He was the Pope of nutrition in Europe. He had written 35 books on vegetarianism. He was a lovely gentleman. I became acquainted at some conference at a medical convention. And I began to think the church in Germany, the German-speaking countries in Europe, they have just developed a Hope Channel. I said, this is the kind of people that we need to bring to the Hope Channel. These are people that are very well recognized. They are authority figures. They are lovely people. They know how to present a complex issues. They are communicators. They can change. They can help our own people and people that watch Hope Channel. And I made the proposal to our leadership and nothing ever happened. Ten years went by. Nothing happened. I tried again. Nothing happened. And then, this man becomes one of my dearest friends. He's an authority figure. He's famous. I'm just a little deal. <laughs> and he comes to me, and he sees my book, Health Power, that I just gave to you. And he said, Hans, has that been translated? I said, yeah, into 35 languages. Into German, I said, no. I said, can I help you? I said, you mean you want to be my co-author? If you're my co-author, this book will actually have a lot more visibility and will have recognition because you are well known in the German-speaking areas of, of Europe. Would you really want to do this? He said, absolutely. Now, my German has become rusty over the years. Oh, I can read all of these things, but that's not an issue. But, but my sentence structures sounds more like an American sentence structure. And these German people will kind of roll their eyes. Now, he speaks German, but this is a good, kind of a different sentence structure. So he said, I will help you. <clears throat> the book is coming out this fall in my mother tongue, right? So I'm excited. Language number 36. In the meantime, the publishing house says, um, do these Adventists have publishing houses? I said, yes. We have one in Austria. We have one in Switzerland. We have one in Germany. 
And do you think they might be interested in collaborating with us so we can make this book available to the Adventist people? I said, yes. Our people need it. We all need it. And then I said to him, you know, <clears throat> just yesterday I received <clears throat> one of these links, electronic links. I opened it up, and it was from Hope Channel USA. And they said, we're so happy to tell you that your program has just aired 60 minutes on how to reverse diabetes. And you're one of the speakers in that one-hour segment. It has become a great success story. Already, they said. I mean, do you see the timing? So now I have something that is featuring sort of, you know, who I am, kind of. So, and I get the idea. I should send this to the publisher. And maybe they can send it to Hope Channel Germany. And maybe we can develop, at last, a series with Dr. Lights and my special friend, the Pope, remember? And so they make an a proposal to Hope Channel Germany. They say, you know, there's Dr. Leitzman here, uh, there's Dr. Deal here, uh, you know, they have written many, many books. Uh, these are kind of people that are solid people. They're not, you know, fringy kind of a people. Um, and, and Dr. Deal is at Loma Linda, he's uh, teaching there. Uh, in other words, there's some credibility there. You're safe. And the second man in charge of Hope Channel Germany writes a very nice letter back, we're not interested. It doesn't fit in what we want to do right now. I said, Lord, is this your plan? Or is there someone else that is being influenced somehow by some other, you know, I mean, we all have our moments, right? Last night, quarter to 12, before midnight, I looked at my emails. There's an email. It comes from my office and it says, I'm Dr. Winfred Vogel. I have lost contact with Dr. Hans Deal. I understand that he's working in your office and working with you. Can you please give him my email address? Winfred Vogel was my special friend at Andrews University in a seminary there. And he was the one that bought into the whole idea that health is the way to go to reaching people's minds and to open up their hearts. He was the chairman of the Old Testament department. Winfried Vogel, his father was the division president in Europe. I said, Winfried, I, I thought to myself, I haven't heard from him for 20 years. And then, well, he must be retired just like I am of retirement age, right? So I read him last night. I said, you're my long last friend. I haven't heard from you in 20 years. And then I checked his credentials below. Dr. Vogel. And then it says, producer of Hope Channel Germany. <laughs> and, and he writes to me, Hans, I haven't been in touch with you for so long, but we need someone like you to come on German television, Hope Channel. I said, and so I wrote him back last night. I said, no, you don't really know. <laughs> I've been here for 50 years. <laughs> My German is not going to be very well received by the German people. But I have Dr. Klaus Leitzmann. And I have another professor that I've trained many years ago, a beautiful lady. 
I mean, people call her eye candy. Do you know what that means? <laughs> and Professor Leitzman is 85 years of age. So I'm going to team them up. But I mean, he looks, he looks very young. I mean, he looks more like he's about 65, silvery white hair, distinguished person, beautiful German language. People that speak the German language beautifully, it's absolutely marvelous. If you listen to some of these dialects, it's a different story. So uh, my mind is beginning to go crazy. I finished my long, e I've never written such a long email. <laughs> At 1.30 last night. And I'm waiting today to hear from Dr. Winfried Vogel, producer at Hope Channel Germany, because God has his own timing and his own plan. Yes. It's about an illustration of what we just read. Life is so complex. Sometimes we don't even know what we're going to say. And somehow, somehow he is there. He is reliable, folks. If that's all we get out of this, the, these, these 10 lectures uh, this week, he is reliable. You can trust him. He knows you. And he wants to be with you, but we have to open the door first. That's the spiritual insulin. Remember? That's the key that you hold in your hand, but you have to say, Lord, come in, open the door, because I know you're a gentleman and you don't push yourself. The greatest love affair you can have is with the Lord. And he's always steady. You let your spouse down. You have your moments that you feel, maybe I could have done it differently. You could have said it nicer, but you didn't. You were concerned about yourself. But the Lord always steady, always there, never pushy, always kind of, always a smile on his face. I'm waiting for you. Lord, open our arms. We can embrace you. Open our minds that we can understand you even better than we do. Open our hearts that we feel your warmth and strengthen our commitment to you that we do what we have learned. Amen. <coughs> <coughs> this morning, I want to talk to you about one of the most important things in life, and that is how to forgive. The story is told uh, of... Uh, He's told by Ernst Hemingway. He talks about um, a father-son relationship that ends up in acrimony. And father and son split. The son, the teenager, leaves the house. The father is distressed because he knows he has contributed to this fracas, to this breakup. And he becomes so distressed that he finally decides I need to find my son, Paco. But there are many Pacos in Madrid where the story plays. So how do I find my Paco? And so what he does, he goes to the newspaper and he puts an ad into the paper. 
It says, Paco, all is forgiven. I love you, your dad. It appears in the newspaper, and the next day, there are 193 Pacos looking for their father at the newspaper. Forgiveness. It's a reality. We all need to be forgiven. So I want to talk to you a little bit about forgiveness. We have talked this week mostly about lifestyle issues such as diets in particular and uh, exercise a little bit and to become a nicer person. We talked about that. And uh, I kind of alluded uh, that uh, we need to work on our relationships with our special people, with our spouses. I suggested to you a few times go to the marriage seminar in the afternoon because I'm learning too. And I'm already applying it by calling my wife and I apply exactly what I have learned. It's good. <laughs> it's good. It's working. So I'm looking forward to being home on Sunday afternoon. <clears throat> so we, we spent a lot of time in talking about atherosclerosis, which means hardening and narrowing of the arteries. We talked about this arterial rust that is building up within the major arteries and begins to deteriorate everything from the top of our body to the very bottom, right? And we said <coughs> perfect health depends on perfect circulation. <coughs> now, <coughs> we know that atherosclerosis interferes with proper blood flow, leads to disease and death, and my question this morning is, what about hardening of our attitudes and emotions? How about hardening of the arteries? No. How about artering, hardening of the emotions? How about hardening of the attitudes? I've talked to some of you folks after the meeting is over, and you come to me, and I know there's a lot of hardening of the emotions that have taken place in people that have been married for 20 and 30 and 40 and 50 years, and they don't get out of it. And I said, how can I change the rigidity uh, of uh, my spouse? I said, you can't. You can change your own. So I want to sort of address this morning the issue of emotions. Now, do you think that emotions have something to do with health? A disease? <clears throat> Let me tell you a story. This is a classic story. Happened at Harvard University. A physician there uh, had a, admitted a patient <clears throat> that came to him who had suffered from a gunshot. The gunshot had, had uh, caused a hole in his stomach. <clears throat> and for some reason, this uh, open wound festered. It didn't want to close. As you know, the body heals itself usually, but in this case, the wound festered and stayed open, and there's nothing that this physician could do. This is many, many years ago. And so he was a researcher, and so he was a curious kind of a man. That's what every physician should be anyway. And so he begins to think, oh, I can look into the inside of the stomach through this hole. 
And he did, and he noticed there were he saw the food in there that was being broken down. He saw uh, liquids, these are acids. He, he began to realize that the stomach lining had different colors. And uh, you know, the more he began to look into the stomach, the more often he wanted the patient to come back so he could do his research. Now the poor patient, he had to just always be subjected to this interested, uh, uh, curiosity-seeking physician. But it was something that became very, very important because it occurred to the physician that at times he noticed that the inner lining of the stomach was purpley mm, lobster red. And other times it was sort of uh, a, a faint red, a pink. And he thought to himself, now why does the stomach lining, the inside of the stomach, have different colors? And so then it occurred to him as uh, this young man came in, and he was very agitated. He, he had gone through something, obviously, uh, that uh, angered him. And uh, so then, of course, on the table, <laughs> it was lobster red. And he thought to himself, could the anger of this young man, could the emotional upheaval in his life at this moment, somehow, could that be reflected in the stomach lining, in the color there. And that helped us to begin to understand that there are direct relationships between our emotions and our diseases. For instance, emotions can actually, they do promote disease, as you know. They can cause an asthma attack. They can cause migraines. Uh, we know they can cause ulcers because when you are agitated, when you are angry, when you have these negative emotions, you're producing excessive amounts of acids, and the acid then begins to uh, attack the inner lining of the stomach. It can lead to an angina attack. If a person has is borderline angina, and you uh, get into a heavy argument, especially as a spouse or as a boss, you know, within no time. Because the coronal arteries begin to con constrict because of the emotions. And as they constrict even more than they are already, you can no longer allow enough blood to flow through and the oxygen doesn't reach the heart muscle and the person has an angina attack. It's almost like a heart attack. <gasps> Spouses, if you have a patient, what did I say? Suppose if you have a husband, or vice versa, if you have a patient with heart disease, be careful. Always think you are a loving person. In this case, you are actually a loving nurse. Don't aggravate, because it could push a person over the edge. Heart attacks. We also begin to understand now that there are probably there are some cancer-prone personalities of people. We, for instance, know <coughs> that <coughs> it is very li quite likely that people that have gone through some traumatic experience, like a divorce from a boss, a company where they love to work, and somehow they were cut off, or a divorce from a spouse, it's not so much this, the divorce from the work or the spouse, but how you relate to it. If you keep the bitterness inside of you, 
you probably have a higher likelihood of developing some kind of a cancer over the next five to 10 to 15 years because you are weakening the immune system that provides you with fighting the disease that come into our system. But when you contrast these negative emotions with positive emotions like joy, and what else do we have? What are some of those seven? Do you remember in the New Testament it talks about this? Help me. Love. Patience. Peace. Long-suffering, yes. Gentleness. It's all there. Positive emotions. Joyful emotions. I mean, just like what I experienced last night at midnight. I discovered my friend, and he wants to have us do something for German Hope Television that we have been dreaming about for 10 years. And my heart was doing joyful somersaults. Yeah! <laughs> and I wanted to call Lily, but she was teaching because I, I knew it was 9 o'clock there. there. She was just winding up. And I thought, I'm going to call her later. I said, no, I'll have to let her sleep. It's, don't be so impulsive. But I was joyful. I said, I'm going to call her this morning. When she wakes up, I'm going to be the first one to call her. I did. I reached her. <clears throat> and so there are positive emotions that actually promote health. I mean, if you eat all the right foods, you have your sprouts, you drink your 10 glasses of water every day, you do everything right, you're legalistically following exactly, you're the ultra-healthy person, I'm disciplined, I do everything. You're shriveling up because you're lacking the most important ingredient. 1 Corinthians 13 is love. Love. Being other person oriented. Forgetting yourself and focus on the other person. Listen. When there's a dialogue potentially evolving, but you think, ah, she's off the rocker. Just say, hmm, that's very interesting. <laughs> Do you remember? That's very interesting. You're not a German tank to roughshod over the person entrusted to you. You are a loving person. You are a lover. You bring God into your life and you say, help me with those seven special virtues today. And you know what happens? The world becomes a better world. And the world treats you so much better too because you have made the change within yourself first and everything else is beginning to be reflected. You want a better world? Be a nicer person. You want to change the world? I told my daughter when she was a teenager, clean your room first. <laughs> it starts at home, doesn't it? <clears throat> and so, you know, this, this whole um, concept uh, of life is largely a matter of problems and problems and challenges and attitudes and all these kind of things. We go from crisis to crisis to crisis and we, are, we can have now two options. 
as life becomes more understanding to us, as we begin to understand what life is all about, you begin to realize you have two choices. You can become a problem solver or you can stew in the problems. You see, that's what makes life so enriching, is that there are problems, and you are a person that has the gift, that has been imbued from above at that moment to help in providing a solution to a situation. Calm, cooler, joyful, reflective, not impulsive, not hitting back. No, what can you do? My wife said, you know, I'd like to have uh, some regular dates. I said, those to eat? No, 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 she said, no, 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 no. And so she said, why don't we put our calendars together and we do this on a weekly basis. So we sit together and we plan things. When have you done that last? See, I'm learning some of these things myself now too. When did you really sit down with your husband and say, hey, I'd like to go for a walk. It's beautiful today. And then after you've been married for 65 years, you reach out to her hand. Honey, it's so nice. We've been together 65 years. We've gone through a lot, but it's all worth it, isn't it? When you feel the squeeze. That's all it takes. Now, it's this whole process of solving problems that really gives us uh, the meaning in life. Through the often painful struggle of solving problems, we grow mentally, we grow emotionally, we grow spiritually, and we develop better, deeper insights. The people that have gone through the most, they become the best counselors to you because they understand. Those things that do hurt us, they may also instruct us. They can teach us. And therefore, here's my suggestion. Wise people, people that are fully alive, people like you and I, we bravely, courageously, cheerfully accept the problems and even the pain of the problems, and we try to work through these problems. And we come out better because in the process, <clears throat> we develop growth, insight, understanding, and life enrichment. This is what wise people do. They say, what can we do to solve this problem? What can we do to, 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 to walk through it? Instead of saying, we're going to avoid it. And you give your spouse the silent treatment. You withdraw. Passive aggressiveness. You don't help anybody. And you're miserable. You withdraw to your room for the next three days. <coughs> you become a deep freeze. <coughs> we need to be incubators. And so in the process, no growth, <coughs> poor habits. You don't learn anything new. You become bored with life because you just shut everything out that is challenging to you. There's stagnation. You might even drown your problems in alcohol and all kinds of things or you move outside of the marriage. You're looking for something on the other side of the fence. A moment of folly. 
moment of regret. <coughs> so problem solving is something that we need to take a look at more closely. <coughs> you see, when you have stress in your life and you begin to handle it appropriately and you bring God into the picture to give you insight, when you handle stress in that fashion, instead of blaming others for your problems, that's what we usually do. Well, thank you. To give is to be able to speak. Okay, good. <coughs> and so stress then forces growth. Uh, stress causes insight. Stress causes understanding. St stress causes um, uh, life enrichment. Uh, we, otherwise, we would become and remain spineless worms. You know, like the caterpillar in the cocoon. If we didn't have to flex our muscles against the walls of difficulty and hardship in life, we would just stay there in the cocoon and never emerge as a beautiful butterfly. He watched this cocoon. He watched it. He was sort of an interesting man that watched very carefully what happened in nature. And he saw this caterpillar. He couldn't quite come out. He was stuck in this cocoon. And he noticed the caterpillar was pushing, trying to get out of this cocoon. He couldn't get out. And what does this man do with great intentionality of being a gentleman? He looks for some scissors, and he opens the walls of the cocoon. The caterpillar emerges, and for the rest of his life, the caterpillar never learned how to fly properly like a butterfly, because the butterfly becomes a butterfly when as a caterpillar, he has to push through this small opening in the cocoon, and it pushes all the fluids out of his emerging wings. But because the man didn't understand, he actually harmed the emerging butterfly. Sometimes we too have to learn to allow others to do what they want to do. Sometimes, yes, sometimes we need to be there to be helpful, but sometimes we have to let a person do what they need to do so they understand. That's the great controversy theme. That's what happened in heaven. I've talked to you about that this afternoon at 4 o'clock. Sometimes we have to allow the seeds to grow and to show what they're really like, right? Not because you want to show off a person as being bad, but to allow a person to become what they think they need to become, even though it's not in your favor. But out at the same time, stand behind that person lovingly, patiently. You see, I have come to learn uh, somehow that it's not so important what happened to you in life. What's important in life is how do you relate to it? Experiencing life will either make you bitter 
or better. What's the difference in the two words? One letter, the letter I. If your life centers only on you, on I, on your rights, on your ego, then the doors are wide open for resentment and for bitterness and for anger and for hatred and for fear and for guilt. These are all self-destructive emotions that are foremost in depleting our emotional energies. These are the very blockages then that stunt our growth, our emotional growth. It causes our spirit to shrivel just like the butterfly who could never fly. It's just one letter, I. Lucifer, he was at the top of the ladder right next to Jesus. But he only thought about I, I, I. And what was good could have been always good he wanted to make it better for himself, but it turned into bitterness because he wanted to have it his way. And so he took one-third of the angels with him because he didn't want to suffer alone. So life is making you either bitter or better. It depends on your attitudes. It's, you can also call it um, spiritual atherosclerosis, a hardening of the spiritual arteries, a hardening and stiffening of your emotions, positive emotions, negative emotions. Well, let me give you maybe a little illustration here. This woman came to me, this is many years ago. She was a very prominent woman uh, in the area her husband was a famous uh, celebrity in the community. And she came to my office and she said, uh, no, she didn't say anything. She just screamed at me. She said, he did this to me. He did this to me. And she was part of it. I said, what, what happened? Why are you going to see me here? Uh, uh, I don't know how to calm down your voice. Uh, I, I'm trying to work with... Uh, Overweight people. He said, yes, look at me. Look at me. I'm here. to. I want to lose weight. Uh, but this woman, she has destroyed my life. I, 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 I can't get rid of her in my life. And so I'm eating and I'm eating and I'm eating. I'm binging and binging and binging. Emotions and eating. Emotions and overweight. Yes, it can be the case. It all too often is. And then the story began to evolve. And she told me about how this famous man, her husband, had been on some kind of a trip and he took one of his uh, assistants with him, a beautiful lady, and it happened. I said, not just jealous, no. It was more than that. It was a broken trust. She was angry and justifiably so. And I do not want to minimize what happened there. It is disturbing. It's very disturbing. It takes you right in the special gut where it hurts. But you have to go onward. You have to get through it somehow. And I said, tell me, I understand. When did this happen? She said, 13 years ago. For 13 years ago, she was bitter and bitter and bitter. She said, I know everything about this woman. I follow her where she is. She's in my community. She's right here. I know her dresses. I know when she takes vacation. I know everything about this woman. This woman was totally focused on that other woman. Did that help her marriage? So I began to talk to her. 
So what have you done to process the pain? Oh, I hate her. Does it help you? No. Oh. And so week after week, she gained more and more insight. And let me tell you what, she's, what she said. I wrote down in, in, in my medical, in my, my patient notes. Let's see, I have it right here. Um, she said, um, yes, I begin to understand now. It, it, it distracted me from developing myself. I was the poor me, it was a poor me story. They did this to me. I was feeling sorry for myself instead of processing the pain, finding a new level of balance and harmony in my life. And then she said, quote, the moment I started to hate that woman, I became her slave. I couldn't enjoy my work anymore because she controlled my thoughts. I became fatigued. The work I once enjoyed became drudgery. Even vacations ceased to be a joyful experience for me. I couldn't escape her tyrannical grasp on my mind until I finally understood I had to focus on my life and what I was going to do with my life. So how do you go from better to better? How do you work through such a painful experience? How do you let go of 13 years of anger and hostility and being tyrannized of your own choosing? Right? She became a prisoner and she had made that choice to do so. And so you can see here, there's the resentment, the bitterness, the anger, the hatred, the fear, the guilt, the enslavement. It's all there in our life. It's a perfect illustration for what we talk about. And then I said, but as you process the pain, yes, she said, I get it. I'm developing insight. I'm developing a better self-understanding. I'm becoming much more sensitive. I'm developing, yeah, I'm even beginning to grow now. And I'm learning the beauty of developing freedom from the past. How do you go from bitter to better? There's only one way I know. And that is the Paco story of Hemingway. The father and the son, <coughs> they finally met among all the many, many Pacos there. They found each other. And the father said, son, all is forgiven. That's how you bring relationships together. That's how you at least give it a chance to enhance relationships. Forgiveness, acceptance. And you say, you want me to forget this? Forgive and forget, wrong idea. No, it's the right idea, but it's hard to do. You can forgive. Forgiveness is an act of a moment. Forgetting will take a lot of time. It will always be there, sort of, but you no longer nurture it. You no longer tell your spouse, yeah, you remember what you did 13 years ago? No, 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 that's the wrong way to go because you're actually hurting yourself. Don't even bring it up anymore. Let it rest 
don't wake up sleeping dogs. <coughs> you see, it's only when we develop the maturity of making a decision. Forgiveness is not something that you do emotionally. Love is not something that's an emotional thing. Well, it's there also. Uh, thank God it is there. But love is really something that is coming from deep inside. It's a decision that we make. It's an attitude of the mind that sees the beauty and what God has done, he has given. And because he has given, what else can I do but be a giver like he is showing me? To live is to give. And to give is to live. Let us leave behind the shrinking and the shriveling our powers of negative emotions. Let us stop telling our spouses, you did this wrong and you don't like this and you criticize them for this and that. Most of these things are all very, very petty things. You didn't do the toothpaste right again and the toilet paper is not really done right. Forget it. It's not important. Okay, self-disclosure, okay? I'm at home. We have a shower that has a glass door. My wife is very, very fastidious. She's a very organized lady. She wants the glass door not to have mineralization building up on the glass. So she said, honey, I want you to dry the glass wall after you've done your shower. And here, my lover, is a squeegee every day, remember? And she puts it on a hook right inside. <laughs> I don't want to do it. <laughs> so I find out that if I can install a water softener, just you know, where the water comes out, there's a small gadget you can insert there. And now uh, it's soft water, and there's the, the mineral minerals, the hard minerals have sort of been taken out, and the water can hit the glass wall, and everything is fine. That's what smart people do, right? <laughs> so I tell her about it, and she says, well, it's pretty good. The next day, I take my shower, and it's now soft water. There's no need for using a squeegee. She comes by. <laughs> Why does she have to come by just at that moment? And she said, are you using a squeegee? I said, honey, I just installed this water softener. We don't need to do this anymore. Honey, I want you to do the squeegee. Remember, I bought this just for you. I, want I said, Lily, it's irrational. And then I <laughs> If that is that important to her, I let her win that battle. Not an issue. I am taking the high road. I'm staying in a home a few months later. They have a shower there with a glass door. 
and look all over the shower. Where's the squeegee? Where's the squeegee? <laughs> you see, it doesn't really matter, does it? And yet we sometimes get so engrossed in those petty little things when the big issues are be affirming. Yeah, it's a crazy idea, but it's okay. She's the most loving person that I know that I have in my life, and I'm thanking the Lord. Yeah, I do. And I'm very sincere about that. You can ask my two children. They're 43 and 42. They say, yeah, our dad is trying to shame us. I said, no, 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 no. I just, it just has become part of me. And uh, yeah, maybe I can be a model to you kids as well. The good kids. Some of you know them. Very uh, accomplished people. Very loving people. So let me close our presentation this morning where we focused on the importance, not just on uh, physical atherosclerosis, but this morning we talked about spiritual atherosclerosis, hardening of the emotions, hardening of the attitudes. My wish for you today is that wherever you are, that you become more aware that you can soften the emotions that have become hardened with time. We can reverse these hardened emotions, just like we can reverse heart disease. We can. We can't really do it within our own strength, but we have one that is there, and he's always there, and he's even putting the words into your mouth of what to say if you're surrendered to him. That's all that matters. There's only one thing we have to do every morning. Lord, I'm going to screw up today, but Lord, Allow me, help me to surrender myself to you so the Spirit can fill the space that I'm making for you today. Isn't that what we all want? <coughs> so let me close with a story. <coughs> <coughs> but before I go there, let, let me sort of pose maybe a personal question to you. Are there some people in your life that you still resent? Are there people that have abused you? These people have died many years ago and you still hate them. You're still angry at these people. Your parents didn't raise you correctly. Your parents didn't put you on the pot at the right time. <laughs> Do you know that my parents were not perfect either, but they did the best they knew? Is it time perhaps to write that letter to your estranged son or daughter? Oh, she, <coughs> she did this. She won't even receive. That's not your responsibility. Have you thought about <coughs> sending that special letter to that man that treated you so shabbily and you divorced ultimately you had to in order to save yourself? He's gone. He's dead. Why don't you write the letter anyway? Express your feelings. Forgive him. And then burn the letter. 
rid yourself of these negative emotions. If you don't want to get on the phone with that estranged daughter or son, just write the letter. And it's not about you justifying yourself. That's the last thing you want to do. It's not about you and justifying yourself. No, I may have not understood things quite right. I have contributed to that. I want you to forgive me. You know you are the least guilty. It's the other person. So it should be easy for you to do. Isn't that right? Isn't that, isn't that really true? Folks, let us break out of the tyrannical grasp that the enemy has on our minds that we have to be right. No. Let us focus on him. The Christian religion is the only religion where the creator God dies for his own creatures and then says, Father, forgive them. That's the model. That's what we want God to do in our lives, to become more like this. Here's the story. <clears throat> oh, she resented that verdict of the judge. Lifetime in prison. Why could he live when her daughter had to be dead? Oh, she hated the judge who made that call, that judgment call. Lifetime in prison. And she had the picture of the murder of her daughter in her basement on the wall. It was like a bullseye type thing. And she threw the darts every day with her anger and her, uh, her deep hurt. And, and the resentments were there. She threw the darts at this murderer every day. The only daughter she had taken by this man. And then a Gideon comes to the home. You know the Gideons. And they brought a Bible. And he said, um, we have a very special prison ministry. And I know you have suffered a lot. But you, would you feel it right in your heart to take this Bible here and to sign it Mrs. Hannah, your name. And I will give it to the murderer of your only daughter. Oh, no. I mean, she was a bit, how can you even ask this question? I, I'm, I'm, I, he took everything I had. You ask me, impossible. I can't do it. Out. She was angry. She was resentful. She was grief-stricken. Understandable, isn't it? And then as he left, the Gideon turns around and says, Mrs. Hannah, I understand. I'm sorry for upsetting you. But you know, if we cannot forgive others, how can God forgive us? Feel free to give me a call when you think you're ready. The call came <coughs> to the Gideon. I think I'm ready. Would you please come? Bring a Bible. He comes to the house. He's very prayerful. He knows the deep pain of Mrs. Hannah. And he says, Mrs. Hannah, 
I feel so honored to be here. How can I help you today? She said, did you bring the Bible? Yes. And then, with a quivering, unsteady hand, she writes, Mrs. Hannah loves you. They're both moved in the depth of their souls. That means turnaround. That means healing. He takes the Bible. They have a prayer. He leaves the house. He takes the Bible to the, to the prisoner, to the murderer. And he says, this is from a very special person. He opens up the Bible. He reads, Mrs. Hannah loves you. He breaks down. He sobs. He grew up as an orphan. No one had ever told him, I love you. It changed his life. He took the chaplaincy course. He became a chaplain to the prisoners. He became a new man, changed man. You see, that murderer had never been told that someone loved him. Never, ever. You see, once he got a glimpse of love, now he could share it with others. To live is to give. But the love note also changed Mrs. Hannah. The old, embittered Mrs. Hannah died and a new Mrs. Hannah emerged and lived. Why? Because she discovered peace and freedom through forgiveness and acceptance. She began to realize that she was the prisoner. And by writing this love note and by coming to grips with her life, she developed freedom. Lord, we come to you. You're offering us freedom from guilt, from resentments, from the bitterness that oftentimes characterize our lives. We think of those that are intimately involved with us. And we pray that you will give us wisdom and you give us this warming love in our hearts. Warm our hearts in a strange way that only you can do. We want you to become the sun of righteousness to warm our hearts and to make us a people that can reach out to others and to be givers and lovers in Jesus' name.